This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. I use Podbean to host Tale of the Manticore. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In the aftermath of the battle with the invading Ankeg colony, the dwarves of Thangar surveyed the devastation all around them and realized that their victory was a Pyrrhic one. Many, many warriors' lives were lost, and Thangar will be licking her wounds for some time, much longer than anyone in the party realizes, it turns out. But, well, we'll talk about that soon enough. They discover a rich new vein of silver in the Queen's lair. It might be a consolation to some, but it is cold comfort to others who paid a price that wealth cannot assuage. No matter how anyone feels, there is grim work to be done. Moving the dead, liberating those who are still alive in the hatchery, and escorting the wounded out of the mine. Along the way, Umura asks Harl how the Thangarians will select a new leader now that Chief Augerstone has been slain. Harl tells her that they will first hold a funeral for all of the deceased, and then the eldest member of the tribe will take the crown. They have only just departed the mines and left its terrible memories behind when the group encounters a throng of dwarves, refugees from the surface. They quickly learn of the dragon's attack and the extent of the destruction wrought upon the citadel above them. Chapter 61, Part 1, Day 71, Afternoon. Party status. Harl, 21 of 34 hit points. Gyrios, 22 of 33. Eridine, 7 of 18. Umura, 23 of 23. Spells available. Gyrios has prayed for Old Person. You and your friends have Thangar's thanks. If there's anything you would have, 
You only need ask and it is yours. Harl twitched his mouth into the briefest of smiles, then looked at his feet. He knew there would be very little left to give. That's very generous of you, lady. Considering. Anyway, there's nothing we need especially. Well, I mean it sincerely. Take whatever you need. It is the least we can offer. Although perhaps you've considered my proposal. I have discussed it at length with my companions, but to be honest, we are not entirely certain what we will do. We need a little more time to think on it, if it pleases you. What she had offered was a permanent home in Thangar. Not just to him, but to all of them. Even with a dragon to consider, it was a tempting offer. In many ways, each of them was without a place they could really call home. They had discussed it at length, and every one of them still considered it privately, but they had not reached any decisions. Harl bowed at the waist. He was speaking with Lorawain Smail, erstwhile master artificer and soon-to-be chiefess of Thangar. He knew a little about her from what Grumblebelly had told him, as she was his master. She was a dwarf of advanced years who wore a beautiful chain of gold that ended in a diamond cluster pendant. It almost touched the ground when she bowed back. Thick-armed and stout for her age, she still cut a fairly imposing figure. Her eyes were stern, her voice clipped, and her hair was shiny and white, the color of cracked quartz. Lorawain held herself with poise and dignity, but without affectation. Her hands, Harl noticed, were calloused and her skin was nicked and scarred. It was also a bronzed, deep brown color, a hue that belonged to those who worked often at the forge. I hope that at the very least you will join us this evening to discuss the future of Thangar. You are a chief, Harl, and with such a great threat at our gates, I would know your mind and have you at my side. As for now, she concluded, there is some business that requires my attention. Of course, lady. Harl took his leave and left the senior dwarf to the sad business of arranging a mass funeral. This would not be just for the late Chief Augerstone and his warriors, but for so many of Thangar's other citizens as well. One piece of good news began circulating among the refugees and came to their ears. It was being whispered that the dragon was gone, at least for the present, and seeming to confirm the news, the chief's body was being readied on one of several litters for transportation to the shrine once the funeral was at an end. It appeared there would be another half-dozen fallen dwarves who would go to the necropolis along with him. Most, however, wouldn't be going anywhere. Another difficult conversation the companions shared began with an awkward yet true observation from Eredin. The bodies that came from the Ankeg's food room, like Chief Baynor's, seemed not to have decomposed much, despite having been lifeless for over two weeks. On the other hand, the body parts removed from the battle room had turned the color of dark clay. The skin seemed pulled tight and a sour smell clung to them. Harl guessed that the Shrieker mushrooms formed a kind of bond with the corpses they fed upon that dramatically delayed the decomposition process. It was easy to see how the symbiotic relationship between Shrieker and Ankeg had evolved. The mushrooms fed on the meat procured by the giant insects, and in return, kept it fresh longer in addition to serving as an alarm system. That wasn't the difficult part of the conversation, however. What was hard to digest, if you will forgive the pun, was the fact that dwarven societies buried their dead on the edges of their mushroom farms. They feed the fields and help to grow more mushrooms, Harl told them, looking discombobulated. But the mushrooms that we have eaten so far, the mushrooms we ate back in Dwervar, for example, or the ones we ate with the Heflin bards. Gyrios did not finish his question. Yes, but I... 
curious. This is central to dwarven culture. It's not like we saw back in the convent. After the soul leaves the body, uh, a human couldn't possibly understand. Harl had stalked off, frustrated by his inability to communicate the delicate matter. As for Gyrios, he stared into the space Harl had occupied, looking a little green, but saying nothing. By the time the funeral began, Gyrios seemed to have found his voice and stood just outside a large ring of dwarves. The Thangarians surrounded their dead, who were laid atop flaky, gray, and flat-topped fungi in as dignified a way as possible, given that many of them were in pieces. The number to bury did not match the number that had died. Not even close. Most of those who had perished above were just ash in the wind now. So they buried what they had. They chanted and beat drums and chimed little bells in a hypnotic rhythm as their sons and daughters and mothers and fathers went into the earth. The dirge went on and on. With one exception, there was no preaching, no eulogizing, no words were spoken. Everything that needed to be communicated was said through this simple song. The only audible words came from Gyrios, who neither whispered nor orated, but just spoke. Almighty Bazagar, giver of the sun, we mere mortals pray in your sight. We glory in your sight, as we are born from darkness to the light. Gyrios was not keeping his voice low enough for Umura, who thought his behavior was in poor taste. Gyrios, she hissed. He continued as though he did not hear her. And we shall join you when prayers are done. Return into the darkness and earth. Descend into darkness and earth. We praise you from the first day of our birth. Curious, show some respect. These are mountain folk and they do not follow your sun god. Curios kept his bald head bowed for a second longer, then raised his chin and looked Umura in the eyes. That is precisely what I am doing, Umura, showing my respect. Umura suddenly felt a hot surge of emotion. She didn't know it, but it stemmed from the betrayal she had perceived back when they had found the single bound hobgoblin, and Gyrios had cast his vote not to hunt down the rest of the tribe. The sorceress actually bared her teeth before, not wanting to cause a scene, swallowed her ire and settled for barbed admonition. I haven't got a single friend who would show me such a lack of respect. And look at you. She pointed at his silver shield with Kledith's inscription on the inside. Friend to the dwarves, is that right? That is right, said Gyrios. I am. In the face of such simple confidence, Umura capitulated. She threw her hands in the air and stomped off, away from the ongoing funeral. She pulled her spellbook from her shoulder bag and passed under the cap of a gigantic toadstool, making for the far end of the mushroom field and hoping to lose herself in study. Much later on, after Chief Boehner's body had been carried away and the crowd had dispersed to spend the evening huddled in small groups under various mushrooms, Gyrios noticed the dwarf Harl had been speaking to earlier. 
She was holding something in her hands that flashed and glinted with white silvery light. She was looking at it with an expression of profound sadness. It was a crown. Are you tired of tracking your encumbrance, counting your torches, and having to roll reactions, and actually talking to creatures in the dungeon rather than just killing them? Me neither. Come on over to Cleric's Square Ringmail. Blogside, you'll find maps and adventures free to download for your OSR game. Reviews of actual play podcasts, channels, and streams to help expand your gaming horizons. And occasional rants, raves, and rules to help explain and expand your D&D experience. Over on the podcast, simulcast on YouTube with the occasional actual play of my own, you'll find interactive debate about OSR and RPG topics, unboxing reviews of gaming products, and the occasional interjection of a pair of toddlers. I'm Clerics Wear Ringmail, and I endorse this message. Delve on, listeners. Delve on. What possessed Gyrios to start praying in the middle of a dwarven funeral? Was it cultural insensitivity? Ignorance? Or even rudeness? No, it was none of these things. Gyrios has experienced a surge of religious conviction unlike anything he has felt before, and he knows, without a doubt, that his actions are righteous. This was a big moment for Gyrios. Somehow, witnessing this show of love, sadness, and devotion among the dwarves changed him. And now, Gyrios has achieved level 6. Let's get some dice and start making rolls. So far, Gyrios has been unbelievably fortunate with hit point rolls. Actually, all my PCs have, but Gyrios especially. It's clear that he's favored by Mazigar, but will the deity continue his generosity? Rolling a 1d6 plus 1 for new HP. I have a 2 on the die. That's 3 new hit points, bringing the cleric's total up to 36. Well, the kind of good luck he's had just couldn't last forever, so I'm neither surprised nor am I disappointed. Let's continue with ability score bonuses. Going down the line, beginning with... Strength, a three. Intelligence, a four. Wisdom, Gyrios had the wisdom to recognize one of Umura's outbursts as a mostly harmless flare-up, but he did not escalate the situation. Will his stat increase? Now I've got a three. Dexterity, a four. Constitution, oh, a six. That's not what I expected. Now, hang on. His score goes from a 15 to a 16. Does that increase his bonus? I'll check the book. Yes, it does. He goes to a plus two. So now I need to make a ruling. I'm going to apply the bonus to this level's new hit points and any he earns going forward, but I won't make retroactive changes. His new hit point total, then, is 37. One more roll for charisma. I've got a five. We aren't done yet because Gyrios also gets access to new spells and the jump in power at level 6 is enormous. He'll be able to pray for the following, two spells of each first and second level, and also one of third and one of fourth. That's right, according to the BX rules at level 6, 
clerics gain access to both third and fourth level spells at the same time. Gyrios will be able to pray for these new spells at the next sunrise. We still aren't done with the cleric though. You might remember that his mace has a special hidden power that was to unlock when Gyrios got the ability to cast third level spells. I haven't really thought about what this power might be too much, but I did have one idea and I think I'll go with that. The weapon remembers some of the smiting spell that the anti-paladin cast, but it won't retain the spell effect exactly. I'm going to give this mace an exploding damage die. That means if Gyrios rolls a 6 on the die when rolling damage, he can keep rolling and add those numbers together until he stops rolling 6s. Will we ever see Mazagar's version of smiting in play? Who knows, but it's definitely more interesting than just boosting the mace up to a plus 2 or giving it a spell effect. Okay, I think we're done with Gyrios' level up. Let's move on to Umura. She has fled to some dark corner of the mushroom field to be alone with her thoughts. She meditates, levitates, finds her calm and opens her mind to the world of the arcane. When she's finished, she's full of shame and self-reproach. She knows that she has a temper problem and that she tends to lash out. Will she apologize or ask Gyrios for forgiveness or will she bottle it up as usual? Time will tell, but one thing is certain. In addition to self-reproach, she emerges from her meditative trance having gained something else. That's right, level six. Let's roll for new hit points. A d4 plus one for her constitution bonus. I've got a one, so that's just two hit points, bringing her to a still very impressive total of 25. On to ability score bonuses. Strength, a six. Oh, okay. Hey, she finally sheds her attack penalty. Her eight goes to a nine. Intelligence, this score is maxed out and we will not roll to increase it. Wisdom, a four. Dexterity, a three. Constitution, another three. Charisma, I've got a one. Well, that's okay, because if you're like me, the real excitement in a wizard's level up comes with the roll for new spells. Let me quickly check her memorizing capacity. At level six, it's two of each spell level one, two, and three. So the only question is, which new spell does she get? There are 12 possibilities. Rolling a d12. I've got a 12. That's water breathing. Maybe her conversations with Grumblebelly included discussions about the false atmosphere in Blacknail's vault. Maybe she picked up something in those talks that, when added to other areas of arcane knowledge, produced this result. Regardless, this is what she gets. A quick read of the spell description says it can be cast on others, and that it lasts a whole day. Hmm, that's one to think over, but not right now. Let's get back to the story and see what happens once the funeral has come to an end. Chapter 61, Part 2 Day 71, evening, party status, Harl, 21 of 34 hit points, Gyrios, 26 of 37, Eridine, 7 of 18, Umora, 25 of 25. Spells available, Umora has memorized, hold portal, light, levitate, knock, lightning bolt, and water breathing. Gyrios has prayed for old person. 
Once the crown had been placed onto her brow and she had accepted the silver ring of office, the ceremony came to an end. All of what remained of Thangar were assembled here. Some 700 dwarves of every age, occupation, and walk of life crowded among the mushrooms. With her coronation complete, Lorawain Smail, now Chief Death Smail, stood and addressed her people with some final words. Yesterday, you were my friends, and I was Thangar's builder. Today, you are my subjects, and I am Thangar's chief. Here is the oath I take right now. For my friends, I will build a new Thangar, and each of you will lend your help, as much as you are able. Tomorrow's Thangar will be stronger, prouder, and richer than ever before. A cheer went up from the assembled dwarves. When it subsided, Chief Smell continued. We have endured blows, my friends. We have been hit from below and from above, but we shall be like the heated iron ore. My friends, what happens when iron is beaten upon the anvil by the hammer? Dwarves were murmuring their support, agreement and understanding, nodding to each other and gesticulating. Some of them were even smiling. What happens to that iron? She asked again into the crowd, louder and more forcefully this time. She nodded to the whole crowd as though it had replied to her question as a single entity. That is right! The iron grows stronger! Now the crowd was on its feet, cheering and hopping up and down. Watching from outside the circle, Gyrios saw and understood that the dwarves of Thangar needed this speech. They needed to be told that everything would be all right, and that tomorrow would be a better day. Gyrios could tell right away that Laura Wayne Smale would be a wise ruler. Above the mushroom farm's cavernous ceiling, outside, evening was darkening the summer sky and turning into night. Laura Wayne had chosen this spot for the council for its ring of fat toadstools. The rubbery and chocolate-colored fungi with fuzzy cream-colored undercaps were just large enough to make for perfect actual stools, if you were dwarf-sized. Counting the chiefess, they numbered 14. As at the coronation, the attendees were arranged in a circle, but this time it was a small, intimate circle with no crowd of onlookers, no hum of conversation or cry of infants. The chief death showed a little tiredness around the eyes, but her voice betrayed no lack of energy. I have asked each of you to join me tonight, because I have faith in the strength of your hearts and of your arm. I bid you to speak your mind freely, knowing that I will consider every word carefully and with gratitude. The group consisted of the following humans and dwarves. Clockwise, around the circle, sitting to Chief Death Smell's left, was the familiar face of Grumblebelly. He's lucky to have survived, Gyrios thought. It was good to see him again. To Grumblebelly's left was Roland Daz Augerstone. He was wearing silver-chased plate mail armor, and his father's two-headed battle axe rested business end down on the floor, with the handle sticking up between the dwarf's knees. His face had a sanguine complexion, framed by a fall of dark curls. He seemed fully recovered from his ordeal in the hatchery. Conversely, Captain Slinghitch was a shadow of his former self. His spine was shaped like a comma. His skin was pitted and mottled where the acid had struck it, and with every breath he wheezed horribly. 
Garrett Magger was better off, but arguably not by much. His left hand had been severed three inches above the wrist. The wound had recently been cauterized, and it was tightly wrapped in fresh bandages, but judging by the ever-present drops of perspiration on the old dwarf's brow, even here where it was quite cool, he was still in considerable pain. Harl came next, wearing an expression that seemed out of place on the dwarf. He seemed somehow resolved, settled. Gyrios realized the only face he had seen on Harl for weeks had been one of frustration. Eredin sat on a giant toadstool beside Harl with her knees pulled up to her chest. She looked weak and pale, but Gyrios had bestowed the healing miracle upon her and he knew that Mazagar had pulled her safely from the brink. She would heal, given time and further care. Next was Umura. She was completely healthy, but looked miserable. The sorceress refused to make eye contact with Gyrios, who sat beside her and had tried and failed to reconcile after their recent disagreement. Almost completing the circle came the guildmasters, the Dumanon, as they were called in Dwarvish. Mohag, Dumanon of the Mines, was first. He was small, even for a dwarf, with flint-sharp features and wiry black hair streaked with gray. Mohag's hard expression seemed carved in stone. Kamio, Dumanon of the Mushroom Fields, was a round-shouldered dwarf who seemed young for a position of such stature. Her hair was corn-silk yellow. It was tied back in a no-nonsense ponytail. She wore pants and a simple shirt, both made of brown homespun fabric. The odor of the mushroom fields, which Eredin disliked, clung to her strongly. Yoli, Dumanon of Metalworks, wore a beautiful shirt of dark chain mail. He kept his warhammer at his side, with the head on the cavern floor and the handle leaning on his hip. Woded, Dumanon of Beasts, was next. A splay-featured dwarf with a warm smile and bright blue eyes, he was the only master that might have been described as jovial. Given the seriousness of their meeting, the others might have been forgiven. Woded smiled pleasantly, and looked like he was about to say something when Yoli leapt to his feet and put his back to the Dumanon of Beasts. We need to make a stand right here. Mark my words, that fire lizard will be back to finish the job. We can decide here and now to be ready when that happens. What exactly do you propose we do? Asked the stony-faced Mohag. Yoli mumbled something about laying a trap with siege weapons, bolt throwers, chain netting, and explosive runes. The idea came across as convoluted, and nobody looked especially convinced. Mohag shook his head. Most of our war machines have been destroyed. Regardless, even a dozen bolt throwers would be no match for that creature. You didn't see it, so you don't know what you're talking about. I was there. Chief Smell made a small motion with her hand. What do you think we should do, Mohag? Well, honestly, I'm not certain, but I know what we should not do. To fight the dragon here on the surface is folly. We cannot hope to defeat a creature that can take to the air at a whim and attack from any which angle. And before someone suggests it, the mines are not an option as a place to stay. He hooked a thumb over his shoulder in the direction of the mine's entrance. The mine is big, but it's mostly just tunnels inside. It would not make a fit home. You don't want to see another tumult Varusa, is that it? It was Yoli speaking. He had taken his seat and was impatiently drumming his fingers along the handle of his warhammer. Meet death head on, brother, came the reply. Well said, Mohag. I'm with you. What other options are available to us? Asked the chiefess. 
Kamio now stood and tightened her ponytail. Options are few. The mushroom fields likewise will not make a good home. If we stay here, the crops will weaken and die. The fungi need the dark and the quiet to reproduce and thrive. Staying here for a few nights is one thing, but we can't remain here much longer than that. Woded had been patiently waiting for his turn. He took it now. We need to leave Thangar until this menace leaves or is driven off. We could go west, or perhaps Sachoros would take us in. Folly, scoffed Mohag. What do you think would happen if the dragon spotted a train of refugees a mile long? All of Thangar reduced to embers in a few seconds. Even if we made it to Sachoros, do you really think that city could hold back a monster like that? Oh, that's right. You didn't see it either. Tell you what, you stick to caring for your animals and let us handle the important matters. The chiefess permitted the four Jumanons to bicker on like this for longer than Umura would have expected, but the sorceress noticed that the chief pointedly did not interfere. She was listening to every word intently, however. Umura correctly guessed that she was watching a scene play out that was very well rehearsed. These four were used to arguing with each other. None of them took anything personally. The ritual of debate was a cultural norm. Senior dwarves did not rush into their decision-making. There is one dwarf for whose presence we have not yet accounted. The fourteenth member of the council, the one who completed the circle, was Draylin Argentin. He was wearing the same red robes he had on when Harl had met him back at the Thangarian shrine over two weeks ago. The speaker for the High Enzo said nothing, at least not out loud. Every now and then he would lean into Chief Death's mail and whisper something. Apart from that, he was as silent as the pious brethren whom he served. Thanks for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you like what you've heard and want to support the show, there are now several ways to do so. You can recommend the show online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. I have a rules ultralight RPG called One Shot in the Dark available for the price of a cup of coffee on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks to everyone who has done any of the above. I'd like to read a review from iTunes today. This one was posted by SRMIV. SRMIV writes, The first few episodes are a little slow, but do a good job of walking the listener through the mechanics used in later episodes. The story is compelling and well told, containing a good mix of character building, drama, and humor. Would recommend for any fan of fantasy or horror real play, especially so if you're looking for something a little different than the typical D&D podcast. That's fair, SRMIV. The show does start out a little slow. I think the show took some time to find itself, so to speak. Thanks to you and to everyone who stuck with me while I worked out most of the cringe. Appreciate your honest review. Thank you so much. Let's talk about this episode's voice talent. This episode is packed with it. Back on the show, but this time much less undead, is Ali from Syracuse, New York's Fed Ash. Ali plays the role of Chief Des Laura Wayne Smale. Also, returning to the show is one of the best in the biz. Benjamin of the Lawful Great Adventures actual play podcast, playing Wodead. In the role of Kamio, Juminon of the Mushroom Fields, is Kaya, who plays Lillison on Curse of Strahd, Twice Bitten, 
and reads classic literature on her podcast at anchor.fm slash Kaya Reads. The voices of both Mohag and Yoli are performed by yet another newcomer, the fantasy author Charles Moffat. Find his work at amazon.com slash author slash Moffat. That's M-O-F-F-A-T. Ali, Benjamin, Kaya, and Charles, thank you so much for lending me your talents. For listeners who'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so on Twitter at Manticore Tale or on Instagram at Tale of the Manticore Podcast. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. I also keep a blog at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com where I post art, character sheets, maps, and other bits and pieces. The story will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Have you ever dreamt of being a superhero? Legends of Superhero Story is a new actual play podcast using the Legends Superhero role-playing game system, available on all podcast platforms. This exciting new superhero tabletop RPG follows our Game Master Jack and our fledgling heroes played by Chad, Emily, Amanda, and Daniel as they work their way through their origin story and beyond. Listen in as they discover their powers and abilities. Let's hope they learn to work together as a team in time to save the world and truly become legends. Legends of Superhero Story is available on all podcast platforms. For more information, follow us on social media at The Legends Cast or visit our website, www.matchplaygames.ca forward slash The Legends Cast. Thank you.